You just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I, and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. What it comes down to is we got to play with more heart. It doesn't matter what scheme we have. We could install the triple option in the bye week. And if our guys don't believe in each other and believe that they're going to win and play with great resolve and toughness and grit, it doesn't matter what we do in that regard. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. And we lied to them during recruiting or we, we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Certainly, like I said, coach our kids to, to do the right thing and uh, you know, play with poise, play with confidence, play with dignity, play with class. At the same time, we're not going to take anyone's shit either. We want to be a big, fast, dominating, aggressive, relentless football team that nobody in the SEC wants to play. Now, that's also a second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. Yeah. excited about second. From now on, it's first, okay? All I want to do is fucking eat! I want you to eat! I want you to eat! I want you to want this shit! Do you want it? Do you want it? Show me! Bunch of did it again! Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined as always by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? Hey, buddy, what's going on? Hey, buddy, I'm getting ready for some SEC championship game action. There's a lot of anticipation. Going to have a hell of a game here on Saturday, Shane. And, you know, we got some exciting stuff. We'll get down into the game. But uh, I wanted to start with a couple clips here from Coach O. We'll get a, a lot more to what he had to say. But two of his comments just kind of stuck out to me, Shane. Him talking about, uh, you know, the fact that, Tom Herman, Jimbo Fisher, LSU's always wanted those coaches, but they, you could say, stuck with Coach O. It obviously worked out better for them. And then this next, I mean, this is this was the best damn clip of the week so far. Coach O, you know, when these coaches interview for these head coaching jobs, Shane, they usually hand over a binder and it's got, you know, <laughs> these, these are the staff members I want to get. This is the recruiting profile I want. Uh, this is the direction of the program. Coach O was asked about it. Hey, you're finally making your first SEC championship game. How quickly were you? Did you say you were going to do it in that binder? I mean, his his answer was just fantastic. And you've coached this year against Tom Herman and Jimbo Fisher. You won both of those games, and you didn't beat your chest about that. Do you think in years past um, you would have maybe been a little more about that, or uh, probably so? <laughs> Coach, in that binder that you put together when you got this job. At what year did it say that you would be in the SEC championship game? Are you ahead of schedule, behind schedule, mm-hmm. right on schedule? What did it say in that little book? First of all, i got to be honest, Big Ed. Derek and Austin made that button. I don't know what the hell was in there, man. <laughs> but it looked good, I'll tell you that. <laughs> all right, Shane, so you see why this guy has become a favorite on this podcast. I mean, that's just pure gold, isn't it? Oh, man, can you play that laugh one more time, Mike? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, that's my new ringtone, Mike. (laughs) Golly, I wish we could get Coach O on, have a couple beers and get him going. I bet he'd be fun, dude. (laughs) Yeah, maybe one day, Shane. But right now, let's, uh, let's talk some Arkansas coaching search, Shane. I mean, this is uh, the most interesting 
coaching search in the SEC right now. And instead of uh, you and I just spitballing on it, uh, uh, let's kick it over to someone down on the ground, not only covering this thing, Shane, but my God, go over to this guy's <laughs> Twitter page and uh, I shit you not. I mean, it's about every 15 minutes he's got an update on a plane flying in or out of Arkansas. Uh, he's all over it. So let's kick it over to uh, my buddy John Neighbors over there from ESPN Arkansas, uh, hitthatline.com. Uh, this is a really good interview I had with him. All right, we're pleased to be joined by John Neighbors. Give us a little insight into the Arkansas Razorback coaching search. And, of course, if you're an Arkansas fan, you already know this name, all the other SEC listeners. Uh, you know, you got to follow this guy. You can, he can be found at Rush John Neighbors on Twitter. He's the host of the Morning Rush radio show on ESPN Arkansas. He's host of the Locked On Razorback podcast. And then you got to check out his website, hitthatline.com. And personally, one of my favorite YouTube pages for everything Arkansas Razorbacks, Hit That Line on YouTube. Thanks so much for joining me, John. I really appreciate it. Hey, no problem, man. It's a pretty crazy time here in Arkansas. So it's always uh, really fun, but really busy. But I'm happy to do it. Well, I got to ask you, I hope you had a good Thanksgiving, but uh, did you survive without getting any mumps? I, somehow, some way I did. I, I don't know how I got so lucky. Apparently, I, I was a little luckier than some of the members of the Racerback football team. But I can tell you that if there was ever a fitting end to the Razorback football season of 2019, it's like you couldn't take anything away from them as far as the success or lack thereof on the field. So why not give them something that uh, like some biblical plague to, to end it all? So, yeah, that was one of the weirdest but most fitting endings uh, to arguably, I don't even think it's arguably, the worst Razorback football season of all time. Yeah, any idea how that started? I mean, uh, my podcast host has a theory that uh, Chad Morris left it on his way out the door. Any uh, truth to that speculation? I mean, I can't say one way or the other. Cannot confirm nor deny. I don't know, honestly. I just, I knew that they uh, they had some people that were dealing with illnesses. And, you know, I was, I was like, okay, well, maybe, maybe this is just uh Maybe this is just something that kind of happened. Maybe it got caught from a, a fellow student that was, I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. It, it just hit us with this uh, report that there were some players or some student athletes affected by it. And we just kind of had to roll with it where we we're like, all right, no one really talked one way or the other about it. It was just kind of there. So we moved on from it. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, the real reason I wanted to have you on, all jokes aside here, you have been damn all over this flight trackers, all like, Every flight out of the state of Arkansas to anywhere that may have a coach that may be interested in the Razorbacks job, I got to ask you that. How, where did you acquire your flight tracker skills? Anyone that's not seen this, head over to uh, John's Twitter page again at Rush John Neighbors. I mean, he's got a damn update about every 15 <laughs> minutes the last 36 hours. Yeah, man, it, it's uh, it's funny because I actually have uh, a team, a team of flight trackers. And I'm not joking about that. I have a numerous amount of guys that have helped me out with this. They've all downloaded various apps, and they are in charge for checking different apps, view different airports here in the region, and uh, really uh, focusing on some of the areas to where a particular candidate, maybe somebody like Elaine Kiffin or a Mike Norvell or whoever that might be a name out there, they've been tracking the areas of the airports that they may be coming from. So I have a full team put together, and also I have some people that have, uh, as I like to call the boots-on-the-ground crew, who uh, head out there to the actual airports if there's a flight coming in just to see if uh, see if anybody's actually there or not. So, yeah, we it, it got put together pretty fast. 
But uh, I got to give it up to my team, man. They uh, they've been the ones that's definitely been making it happen for me. I've just been relaying the message more often than not. But it's it's been really fun, and they've done a great job. Well, it's just outstanding coverage, and you know, there's been you know nothing new to flight trackers, but this is just on a whole new level. Uh, the Razorbacks are doing it right, so I got to credit you for that. Now, I wanted to ask you about the AD Hunter Yurichich. Uh, does he have any extra credibility, would you say, after the fight or excuse me, the hiring of Eric Musselman? Because I know it's early in his tenure, but by all accounts, Musselman is doing a hell of a job there with the basketball team. Do your listeners and just the fans you talk to, they give a little bit more uh, credibility to the hire that your check is going to make now that they've seen what he can do with a coaching hire? Oh, there's no question. I, I mean, that if fans, if fans didn't have the Eric Musselman hire to go off of, from uh, Hunter Juracek, then they would be completely and totally feeling like this was an epic failure from the get-go. Just because they they would be, they wouldn't be any sort of hopeful. They would be completely and totally expecting the worst. And but with the way that Hunter Juracek handled that hire of Eric Musselman, how he went out and, and sought after guys and vetted guys, and the process went really well, and it seems like they got a rock star and a hire. That's what's made Razorback fans keep their sanity at least for a little bit uh, during this coaching search. And uh, he, he's done other things, obviously, really well, too. But it, it's got you got to believe that Hunter Yurchek has had his work cut out for him because not only has he only been on the job for about two or so years, but in a span of about nine months, he is going to be responsible for hiring the men's basketball coach and now the Razorback football coach in nine months. And those are the two most important positions uh, at the University of Arkansas, maybe even the state of Arkansas, depending on how you look at it. So uh, the fact that he got one of them right, and I think everybody is on board with Eric Musselman. I haven't seen so much excitement about basketball in a long time. People are hopeful that he's going to do the same thing with football. Now, obviously, it depends on the candidate, depends on what they have. It's a little different because the football program at Arkansas is nowhere near the quality of the program and basketball, respectively. But there's still a lot of belief that Hunter Yurichek can make the right hire as long as he is given the right reins and the right support from the board of trustees and the other people around him. Now, is there anyone on staff, uh, specifically talking, of course, of the football staff, anybody of the uh, you know 10 assistant coaches that you'd like to see whoever the new coach is, keep. I know Barry Lunny's been there a long time. Uh, please, God, don't say John Chavis. <laughs> no, I think the Chavis uh, train has come and gone. I think it's left the station. I think everyone's over that. Uh, but Barry Lunny, honestly, I would love to see him still on staff because he does such a great job in the state of Arkansas in recruiting. Uh, you know, He has always done really well by Arkansas. He, he loves this state. He loves the Razorbacks. And he has a great connection and relationship with the high schools here in the state, mainly due to his dad being a Hall of Fame coach in high school at uh, Fort Smith Southside as well as Bentonville. So he's got a really good relationship with all of them there. So I'd like to see him. Plus, not to mention, if you look at some of the tight ends that he has coached, mm -hmm. guys like Hunter Henry, uh, yeah, of course, is the biggest one, but also a Jeremy Sprinkle, who's been phenomenal. Uh, you had A.J. Derby, who's had a little bit in the NFL, and uh, Cheyenne O'Grady, C.J. O'Grady. He's got off-the-field issues, which is unfortunate, because but the talent-wise is still there. So he's coached some great tight ends. So I'd like to see him. I'd also like to see Jeff Trailer, uh, a guy that is really well-known in East Texas for his recruiting. In fact, one of the best recruiters in East Texas you'll probably ever find, and we know that Arkansas needs all the help in Texas that they can get. So those would be the only two, though, that I would say if they were able to keep those guys on, I'd be completely and totally fine with. 
Now, Ole Miss has obviously opened up their job. That came open Sunday evening, and Arkansas's had a head start on them. I just wanted to ask you this hypothetical. If the Memphis coach, Mike Norvell, or Mike Leach, or let's say Lane Kiffin, any of those three get hired by Ole Miss before Arkansas makes a hire, which I'm not saying that's going to happen, but if it does, how would that be received uh, there in Fayetteville, do you think? Honestly, man, it's I don't know if anybody's as as uh, I don't know if they're looking at other teams in the SEC and who they hire as an indication of how worrisome or how concerned they should be with their own hire, mm-hmm. uh, because there's there's enough candidates out there that for, for, let's be honest too, like some of these programs, I'm sure Arkansas is going after the same candidates, right. whether and whether it's Florida State or anybody, they're all in the same pool. It's just a matter of all right, just as long as, you know, you get, you know, you don't want to have a situation where, say, like Mike Norvell goes to Memphis, um, Missouri ends up getting, I, I don't know, I'm just throwing names out there. I don't even know if they'd be interested, but say, say if they get someone like a Justin Fuente or something, mm-hmm. or, or, and then like Florida State gets a Lane Kiffin, and then you're left hiring another Chad Morris, that that's the last thing you want to do. So I think that would be the only case. But if Mike Norvell goes to Memphis, there's some Razorback fans that want him. But if he goes to Memphis and then Arkansas gets a hire like a, a Matt Campbell or somebody like that, again, I'm not saying that would be it. I'm just throwing names out. But somebody that would really wow some people, they won't really care as much. It's just about making sure they get their hire right. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, these two questions kind of rope together. But obviously, Chad Morris came in with a reputation as an offensive mind, you know, a quarterback coach, and it just never materialized. So how quickly – do Razorback fans need to see something from the next coach if he's an offensive coach? Like, how patient are they going to be with this next coach? Do you think that really depends on the guy's previous resume, or is there going to be, you know, I just don't think, while it may be accurate to, to say, hey, we may need two or three years to get this thing going, I just don't think Razorback fans right now, that's going to be what they want to hear. No, it, it's not, but I think most Razorback fans, and, I'm, and I mean this, they will be patient because the last three years have been so horrific, so awful, that they will be willing to sacrifice time as long as they see progression. That was the biggest problem with Chad Morris. I mean, obviously he had a lot of them, but Mm -hmm. the biggest problem was he just didn't show any sort of development. They didn't get better in anything. And that's why they made the move so quickly. You know, some people are out there, some wackos are still saying they fired Chad Morris too early. Are you serious? <laughs> Did you watch? They got blown out by Western Kentucky at home. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't care who you are, what you say, Arkansas, they're not a big, greatly talented team, but they have more talent than that. They have some good players. And so I think that Razorback fans are just hoping that whoever comes in, say if next year they go, it's going to be a tough schedule, but if they go four and eight next year, and say if they only go one and seven in conference, something like that, no one's going to be pumped up or excited, but they'll be at least a little hopeful that this guy will get the right thing going. And also, can they be a better team at, in the game against Missouri and Kansas City at the end of the year than they were in the beginning of the season early when they played Mississippi State? You know, can they be a better team than that? That's what people are hoping for. They're hoping for development, they're hoping for progression. And as long as they can see that, even if the wins don't come in a high volume, as long as they can see that, I think Razorback fans will be okay. All right, now I wanted to ask you, just based on you know your interaction, your radio show, you get the feedback from all the Arkansas fans, which one of the – I'm going to name six coaches here. These are the ones everyone's talking about. Which one do Arkansas fans want the most, and which one do they want the least? I'm going to go uh, Matt Campbell, 
Lane Kiffin, Mike Leach, Luke Fickle, Mike Norvell, Justin Fuente, most wanted, least wanted. Oh, man, so you're going to have to give me that list. Um, I think most wanted, and this is tough because every, every Razorback fan's got a different viewpoint, so people, Razorback fans probably listening to your podcast right now are going to yell at me for saying this, <laughs> but I would say the most wanted would probably be Matt Campbell mm-hmm. because he, and, and I think that if Arkansas was able to get him, I don't think they will, but if they were able to get him, he would be the type of hire that would be perfect for Arkansas because he has had to go into tough situations and find ways to win. Iowa State's not an easy place to win at, and he's winning at it. Arkansas right now is not an easy place to win at. So he, since he's done it before, he's used to taking over programs and having to develop them and get them competitive. I think he would be a perfect fit for that. So as far as I would say that he's probably the one that most fans, if they made that hire, would just you know all be on the same page, all be on board with it. Uh, as far as the one that would not do that, I want to say it would be because it's crazy, man, because Lane Kiffin is probably the most bipolar of them all. Mm-hmm. Like, like he's got his fans that are in Arkansas are huge fans, but the ones that don't want him absolutely can't stand him. I mean, it's very, very uh, uh, different in that regard. But so I won't even say Lane Kiffin because he has a lot of support. I would have to say, hmm. I guess I'd have to go with, in that case, um, uh, Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech. I'm pretty sure you named him. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'd have to say him because he, he's he's been okay at at Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. He's, he's done all right, but there's nothing to lead Razorback fans to believe that he can step in. Because he took over after one of the most healthiest programs you'll ever see with Frank Beamer. Can he come into a program and rebuild, especially in Arkansas, especially in the West, He's just not the sexy hire I don't think anybody would want. So yeah, and I, I um, think you could argue that uh, Mike Norvell did a better job there at Memphis than even Justin Fuente. So I, I think I'd lean towards Mike Norvell right there. Yeah, I, I would too. Now, the Mike Norvell hire, some people are all on board, and it kind of frustrates me because I'm not saying he would be a bad hire. But also, okay, how much of that at Memphis is what he's been able to do because of what Justin Fuente built? Not taking any credit from him. But Razorback fans are a little gun shy when it comes to that because, you know, Brett Bielma was amazing at Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And when he got to Arkansas, when he had to take over a rebuild program, he just couldn't get it done. You know, how much of that success in Memphis is actually Norvell? And could he come into a program like Arkansas and get it turned around? You know, there's just no evidence to show that. And again, I'm not saying he couldn't, but it just wouldn't really make everyone say, oh, yeah, this is going to get turned around quick because of a guy at Memphis that was able to keep continue on uh, winning the way that Justin Fuente did before he got there. All right, so there's three jobs in the SEC that are open right now. Obviously, Arkansas, Missouri, and Ole Miss. Looking ahead to 2020 and moving forward, which job do you think is the best job? And I'm, I'm trying to take out history. I know that's like a hard thing to do, but just considering all these schools have to offer the rosters they have moving forward. In your opinion, which one of those is the best job? Oh, man, see, maybe this is my rose-colored tinted glasses, and maybe this is my bias coming out, but I, I've thought about this. We actually talked about it on my show this morning between those jobs, and I honestly believe it's Arkansas. Now, I understand that in the recent success, it has not been there. I understand that, but the thing is, is that Missouri and, and Ole Miss both, they've had their run-ins with some NCAA issues, which mm-hmm. has, they've had to deal with. There's no denying that. Arkansas, luckily, knock on wood, has not had that. 
Um, you've also had uh, some – you have Ole Miss who is going to be up against Mississippi State being an in-school rival. They're going to have to go up against that team every year. Um, they, they, you know, they just have some things that I think limit them. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to take anything away from them because I still think they're a good SEC West program, but I just don't think that they have the same to offer as Arkansas and they're closer, but Missouri, the other thing though about Missouri is I just don't think they have the finance, financial ability to keep up as much as some of these other SEC teams. And, and you know, this, this firing of Barry Odom, I thought was very strange and, uh, I mean, you may know a little more about it, but I'm pretty sure if I'm remembering correctly, when they hired Barry Odom, they mainly settled for it because they couldn't get any type of uh, hire or at least a big name hire that they wanted because no one was really interested in it. And I know financially they're really handcuffed. I know the recruiting, it's pretty tough. They don't really feel like an SEC team, even though they're in the SEC. They're always going to have that outsider's perspective just a little bit because it seems like they're just so far away from everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Again, I'm not saying it's far and away, Arkansas, but I just feel like with Arkansas's facilities, with their money, with their program, with with everything they have going on for them and, and what they have to offer, and there's not going to be any NCAA issues looming or academic issues looming or anything like that, I just feel like it would be a perfect place for a coach to step in and have a little easier time of finding success. And again, maybe I'm completely wrong about that. Maybe it's my bias coming out, but that's just kind of how I feel about it right now. Oh, we appreciate that Homer response, but I think, (laughs) I think you might be right. I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. I think you might be right there. Transitioning to the team real quick here. Who is the best quarterback on the roster for 2020? You have any idea because hell I've watched each Razorback game twice. And I, I don't know if I can answer that question. Dude, Roll the dice, and you know you. Well, they played what six quarterbacks this year, so actually get a piece of dice and roll it, and you'll probably find out. I don't know. Uh, I I have no idea. I would say though that um, KJ Jefferson to me has the most upside, the most potential. The guy is athletic. He's got a cannon of an arm. He, he's he's very mobile. I think it just, but he's a true freshman this past season, so I think that he might have the most upside. Starkle, I liked Starkle's game. I really did. Starkle's problem was, is of course, one terrible coaching and terrible development and terrible offensive coordinator and, and quarterback coach. But also, he lost his confidence big time. And he was never able to get it back. Never. So I think that if he was ever able to get that confidence back, he should be able to at least... Uh, find a way to where he could be pretty effective because we know he wasn't. He did well at A and M. He did well. I feel like with his confidence was uh, there at Arkansas, but he lost it at some point. So I think he'd be pretty solid next year too. Uh, but those are the two guys, though. I, I would be surprised if any other quarterback ends up starting or taking snaps or anything next year uh, besides those two guys. Nothing against John Stephen Jones. Nothing against Jack Lindsey. But I, I would be hard pressed to think that those one of those guys won't be the starting quarterback next year. Okay, last question for you. Obviously, Chad Morris did his best to turn over the roster, and, hell, he did a really good job identifying some young talent, bringing in – I mean, I think Arkansas has got maybe the best pair of freshman receivers in the entire SEC. But uh, any indication that these guys – I don't want to say are going to be one foot out the door, but how committed are they to Arkansas as compared to, you know, maybe they were just more committed to Chad Morris and his staff. And obviously most of those guys are are about to be gone here. Do you think uh, we could see a situation where, you know, there's like a exodus of transfers or any indication that these guys are committed to staying with the program? 
I think there'll always be uh, transfers anytime you have it. I, I don't think there'll be a mass exodus, though, because even some of his true freshman guys, the guys he recruited, mm-hmm. um, all, a lot of them were just like, okay, um, we're, we're, we're done with this guy. Like, they, they even knew. And so I don't think you'll have it. And I know that all of them, if not most of them, are at least waiting on uh, who the next coach is going to be before they make any decisions. And I think that was a message that was passed along from some of the senior leadership. Like Scooter Harris met with the entire team, one of the leaders on the defense, and said, guys, I, I know that it's going to be crazy, but just wait. Give the give the U of A a chance. Give under your check a chance before you make any decisions. So I'm, I'm, I'll be surprised if it's a max exodus. I think that there'll still be some of them that transfer out. Uh, but Arkansas just has to make sure whoever they hire, the first phone call or the first time the thing that they do on campus is they meet with Traylon Burks, they meet with Trey Knox, they meet with Rakeem Boyd. Uh, they they meet with those guys in particular and saying, hey, listen, this is <laughs> stay here. We're going to get it going because those guys are some talented players and Arkansas is going to need all the help they can get, especially in the skill positions next year. All right. Once again, that was the great John Neighbors, host of the Morning Rush radio show on ESPN Arkansas, also the host of the Locked On Razorbacks podcast. Follow all his stuff at hitthatline.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at RushJohnNeighbors. Thanks again, John. I really appreciate you joining the show. It's great stuff. Yep, absolutely, man. Appreciate it. Anytime. All right, man. Take it easy. All right, Shane. So once again, that was John Neighbors. Really want to thank him for coming on the show. I thought that was an outstanding interview. A lot of quality information there for the listeners, particularly Razorback fans. Uh, what do you think about what he had to say? Been there, Mike. I have been there tracking them planes, <laughs> thinking we saw, oh, uh, you know, I mean, it's just, okay, all right, it's down at Boca Raton. That means, uh, it's got to mean, it's got to mean Joey Freshwater's coming up here to be our coach, you know, and then it's like, well, you know, there's rumors that groomers floating around over at Calhoun's, you know, <laughs> let's get some cameras over here. Is this him, you know? So I remember it. I remember it well. And uh, it's it, it's an experience, dude. And, and I can't imagine Arkansas is going to be any different than, than Tennessee. So uh, it's an exciting time of year because, you know, the rumors – are rampant, man. And it's it's at a couple of schools here in the SEC, and it's, you know, they're tracking. I love how he says boots on the ground. He's got a team <laughs> that he can get together real quick, like the A-team over there, and get some footage out. So this is a, this is a nice little system they got set up over there, and uh, I'm keeping my eyes on it, man. It's, it's entertaining, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, he's not even kidding, Shane. When he's tracking these planes when they land then he'll start (laughs) uploading photos of the plane you know on the runway the plane in the hangar them waiting to see who's on the plane i mean it's it's comical as all get out i really recommend it and you know you really hit on a point there that's why you know that's why we got this podcast shane because these people they're dying to know who's going to be the head coach you just Uh went through the worst two-year period maybe in sec history but all that's out the window shane forget about all that that doesn't matter what matters is 2020 what matters is the new guy that's going to come in and return to glory and we all have that missouri fans are feeling that old miss fans are feeling that uh, it, it's just a great time for coaching search coaching rumors i mean you're living and dying by you know you got people fighting online about who's a better hire and it's probably not mm-hmm. even going to be either one that people are fighting about mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's just it's just exactly. people getting fired up for their guy uh, they're fired up for their their future of their program and uh, i mean no one can just i mean no one and is you patient can, at all you know what you convince yourself you know <laughs> i i mean it was so many times during our search that i convinced myself like 
you know what? Hugh Freeze could be the guy, you know? <laughs> I mean, you know what? He's, he's had a few time, you know, a few years removed from the SEC. I think he's going to find, you know, and then you're like, they're like, oh, there's no way he's going to hire him. And then you, then you move on to the next one. You're like, well, you know, Gruden's wife was a cheerleader here. So and then, you know, and Arkansas is doing the same thing, you know, and I love it. Yeah. And these, these Twitter feed is fantastic. It's like, we got we got two adult males and one child, and they were rushed into a Tahoe, and they're like, "Well, does uh, he have a daughter?" You know, it's just like I don't know, but you know, everybody's doing it at every barber shop and every Hardee's. You know, they're they're sitting in there, they're talking about who the next head ball coach is going to be, and you're convincing yourself who your guy. I mean, everybody's got their stand, you know. But I'm I'm telling you, as this thing, as this field gets narrowed down and we start actually seeing who's on campus, you're going to find yourself convincing yourself that that was a pretty good hire. So mm-hmm. I, I love it, man. I absolutely love it. Now, the one thing I asked John that I wanted to ask you, Shane, of these yeah. three jobs that are currently open, Arkansas, Ole Miss, Missouri, mm-hmm. putting the history aside of those programs, but looking at 2020 and beyond, considering you know, the current roster in place, the current, you know, facilities and, and fan support and everything. Which one of these three jobs do you consider to be the best job right now? If You know, let's say each of them could get whoever the top candidate is, but he's only going to pick one. Where is he going to go? Oh, man, Mike, you know, that's a that's a tough that's a tough one. You know, and, and there's so many factors. Like if I'm coming in as a coach mm-hmm. right now, um, I like Arkansas because of the money. Um, I, I just think that, you know, they've got the deeper pockets of the three. Mm-hmm. But, man, it's tough to beat the Grove, you know what I'm saying? And then <laughs> hotty toddies running around all day long. So, I mean, you know, there's that side of it. And then, and then you look at Mizzou. I think Mizzou probably has out of – all three of these, the most talent coming back. So uh, if I'm coaching, expectations are are very low at Ole Miss and at Arkansas. So I'm going to I'm going to remove Missouri from it because I think that I think they just got higher expectations. Mm-hmm. And so I'm leaning back and forth. And, you know, Arkansas, I think I'm going to go with them. I think he's right. I think that's the one I'm going to lean more toward. I do love the talent. I love Plumtree. You know that mm-hmm. uh, coming back from Ole Miss. However, I think the fact that Joe stuck around in so far. Now, if Joe gets fired, then I may take the Ole Miss job because then I got the state. You know what I'm saying? But if Joe sticks around there in Mississippi, I'm probably going to go with the Arkansas job. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Now, I think all those jobs you can win at, it's proven you can win at if you're a quality coach. None of them are bad jobs. I mean, they're all, I don't want to call them equal, but they're almost Mm -hmm. on equal footing. But I would give that slight advantage to Arkansas. I think uh, they've got an advantage over Ole Miss given the fact that it's, you know, the state program. I mean, from corner Mm -hmm. to corner of that state. I know there's a lot of support now for Arkansas State because they've been so successful recently, but still, that's a Razorback state. And I know there's not a ton of talent that comes out of there, but, man, they're so close now uh, to Texas and Oklahoma and Memphis and St. Louis <laughs> and Louisiana and Mississippi. Like, I, I never have bought that. I mean, I, if you had to just go exclusively off in-state talent, yes, 
Arkansas is probably never going to win the SEC with just nothing but yeah. homegrown Arkansas kids. But they're, they're close enough to so many uh, great places to recruit from. I really think, uh, and, and looking at it this way too, Shane, they've been so damn bad for the last couple of years. If you come in there, let's say you go to the bowl the first year, I mean, hell, yeah. they're going to give you an extension. They're going to love you. So, absolutely. For all those factors, I think right now, if I'm if I'm a coach out there, all things being equal, I think I'm taking that Arkansas job over the other two at this point. Can you drink in Arkansas? At the stadium, like in the stadium, yeah. Ooh. I know Ole Miss, you can't. Oh no, actually, Ole Miss they they changed it. They halfway through the year, what? they they got it. Oh, so they got they got beer in Ole Miss. I think. Man, I don't want to misspoke. I know Missouri does for sure. I think Arkansas is in the no label. But, dude, I'm telling you, 2020, take, I think they're all drinking in 2020. I'll take Ole Miss if I can change the team name. <laughs> you know, they're not Land Sharks still, are they? Is that a thing or did that die off? Uh, no, that's still, that's that's what they call their defense. Mm. Yeah, no, I'm going to go with Arkansas then. <laughs> yeah. All right, Shay. Well, uh, speaking of Ole Miss, let's jump on down to Oxford. Auditorio, Ole Miss. Where the now full-time AD, Keith Carter, met with the media here on Monday to discuss the firing of Matt Luke. And, you know, just the more you hear about it, the more this doesn't really make a ton of sense. You know, from all that I'm hearing, that uh, damn fake pee incident, that was really the undoing there of Matt Luke. I think yeah. the, the big money people down there tired of seeing their team on national television, being damn mocked. Uh, this is the second time that's happened under a Matt Luke coach team. So, What was the other time? Uh, the previous year. Uh, it was one of the receivers did it. It was uh, not A.J. Brown, but uh, Metcalf. He, he did the same damn thing against Mississippi State. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the, the main issue is that it keeps happening. You know what I mean? So right. you feel terrible for this kid. I mean, he made a terribly stupid thing, decision that he could have not done, but – now it's affected his damn coach, got his coach fired. So feel terrible for him, but I don't know. I, I think you got to get rid of the Matt Luke a little bit quicker if, if that's the decision you're going to make. You don't wait till he's damn recruiting out there. And uh, reportedly, you know, Keith Carter met with the team to announce the firing. And he's saying nine or ten people walked out, but I'm hearing upwards of 40 players Jeez. walked out on him, Shane. So, I mean, they got a mess down there in Oxford to clean up now. They hire the right coach. All that goes away immediately, but it's a weird situation. Matt Luke gone. Your Mississippi made. I mean, you were you've been selling that since the moment he came in there, and now you got Rich Rod. You got Mike McIntyre. They're both quality candidates. Maybe one of them gets promoted, but I kind of feel like if that was the the way they were going to go, they probably would have just said, you know, Matt Luke's gone. Rich Rod or McIntyre's the head coach. So I don't really expect them to go that route. Mm-hmm. Let's kick it over here to Shane, to uh, Keith Carter. He had kind of a little long spiel here, but uh, I kind of cut it down to him discussing the decision to get rid of Matt Luke and what the Rebels are looking for moving forward on what changed. Remember, it was only two weeks ago he gave Matt Luke the vote of confidence, so what's changed in just that short period of time? And then on the players walking out of his team meeting, he kind of goes into that as well. With the support and consultation of Chancellor Boyce and after meeting with Coach Luke, we felt that we needed to move forward in a different direction and inject new energy into the program. Following Thursday's game, I spent a couple of days taking a hard look at the totality of Matt's tenure as head coach. While you can see progress in certain areas, we are not experiencing enough success on the field. 
from a recruiting, academic, and overall culture standpoint, Matt did a tremendous job, and we will always be grateful for his leadership. However, as I said yesterday, winning is important, and we know that we can win at Ole Miss and compete for championships. Another factor was lack of support. Entering the Egg Bowl, we were optimistic that a strong, a strong finish to the season could build momentum. However, after stepping away from the emotion of Thursday and evaluating the team as a whole, it was evident that the apathy surrounding the program was too much to overcome. We felt it was important to find new leadership that could take this team to the next level, not only from building on our culture, but also translating to wins on the field. Our search is for a new head coach is underway. We've engaged Ventura partners to assist in this process of identifying a, the strongest candidate and the best fit to lead our program. We would prefer a sitting head coach or Power 5 coordinator, but more than anything, we want energy, passion, and a track record for success. We want a program builder who can galvanize and help unite Rebel Nation. As was clear with this season, there's a lot of talent on this roster. And those players in a destination school like Ole Miss, this is a very attractive job, and we look forward to working quickly and efficiently to find our new head coach. Up for questions. Keith, you talked about the wins and losses. You talked about the apathy. What changed in that regard from two weeks ago when you said you were moving forward with Matt to today when the only change has been since the Egg Bowl? Yeah, you know, I think as we, as we looked um, the, the couple of days since the Egg Bowl, we, we tried to evaluate. We tried to, to get away from that. It was obviously a very emotional night for a lot of reasons. Um, but I think we tried to get away from that. We tried to look at the, the totality of the program. And what I just kept coming back to is that while we could see some, some progress in certain areas, um, have been competitive on the field in, in most games this year, it just felt like that the apathy around the program and just the, the lack of support were going to be hard to overcome. And, you know, going into next year, um, you know, with, with the schedule kind of built the way that it is, um, it just didn't feel like that even if we got to, to five or six or seven wins, that it was going to be enough to, to get people back and, and get over that hump. So we felt like making the change now was important so that we can uh, in, you know, inter interject new energy and life into the program. Keith, can you give a number, can you estimate a number of players who left the players meeting last night before it was concluded, and do you believe you face a challenge in keeping that group together in the coming days? Um, I think there were probably about eight or nine, ten guys that left. Uh, and let me say this. Um, I'm not, I'm not mad or angry at those players. It was an emotional day yesterday. Uh, they love Coach Luke. We all love Coach Luke. And I totally understand the emotions. And I remember when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, emotions sometimes can get the best of you. Um, but absolutely, we're, we're going to do everything we can to support those guys. Uh, I had several of those guys text me after the meeting apologizing, saying that, you know, we lost, we lost uh, control of our emotions. We shouldn't have walked out. Um, and I appreciated that. I responded to them and said, hey, I, I want to sit down with you. I want to talk to you. Um, we want to do everything we can to support our players. Keith, what's the time period for the coaching search in your eyes with obviously early signing day coming up very quickly? Yeah, like I said, we want to move as quickly as possible. You know, I think with this new signing day, it, it, it complicates things a lot when, you, when you're making a change like this. Um, but certainly we want to move quickly. You know, I, I don't want to put a time frame on it, but quickly and efficiently, uh, as quickly and efficiently as we can. Have Rich or Mike expressed interest in this job? Do you consider them a candidate at all? 
You know, right now um, we're kind of looking at all options. We haven't narrowed our list down uh, to kind of a specific list yet of, of you know, four or five names. Um, I haven't specifically spoken to either one of them about this job, but uh, anything right now is on the table. All right, Shane. So, you know, mm. the more you say that out loud, this guy walked into the damn full AD position two weeks ago. Yeah. It just it doesn't make any damn sense that uh, we're going to name you full-time AD, and then here you go. Let's hand you the most, the most important job on campus. you got to find a new football coach. You've never done it before. I mean, this has – disaster written all over it now i think what they really need to do here is make that trip up to memphis hire mike norvell and, and maybe save the day i think that would be a hell of a hire but short of that i mean i think it's going to be really tough for for old miss to kind of keep the momentum going here you know the more i think about this the more i think that 80 job was contingent on him doing just what he did you know i don't, I don't think this came down to uh uh, the piss play. I, I think that Coach Luke was out because he's not—he's not a fun hire, man. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Nobody's talking about Coach Luke. Yeah, uh, SEC media days, and uh, I mean, there's just there's no buzz coming from that staff. I mean, when you think Ole Miss coach, I mean, think about it. You got Hugh Freeze, Houston Nutt, Coach O, David Cutcliffe, Tommy Tupperville. I mean, these are some big, exciting, flashy names. Mm -hmm. I, I, th I honestly, I think that this is more of a booster type situation right. and said, Hey, we're going to give you this job, but we need a new coach and we want to, I, so it wouldn't surprise me if Ole Miss doesn't go out and get that flashy name, you know, you, everybody throws around Leach and, you know, uh, what's his name down there at FAU? Um, Kiffin. Yeah, Kiffin. You know, that's the type of hire I can see Ole Miss making because that's what they do, man. They 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 like those those wild names. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, I think that this job was contingent, and he's just a scapegoat. This AD, uh, the more I think about it, this he's just a puppet, man. Mm -hmm. Now you you hit on something there, kind of interesting. Something kind of hit on there with John as well. But man, how interesting is it now? You see, you know, Arkansas Razorbacks fly into FAU. And then how about, you know, they meet with Kiffin and then they're walking back to their plane. Then here comes Ole Miss playing Landon. I mean, <laughs> 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 let's just ramp it up these rivalries even more. Let, let's, have, let's have them fight over the same damn coach. That, I mean, that would, that's the only way to make it even better, isn't it? I love it, man. And they are going to make a quick hire. You know, this is one of those I think that they're going to try to get somebody in there so that they can keep the recruiting momentum going because Ole Miss has got a lot of young talent. And the last thing you need is a gap in your recruiting cycles, you know. So I think all these teams, they're going to try to get this thing done sooner than later. Mm -hmm. All right, Shane, so let's kick it down to Athens. Oh, dog, sick him! <laughs> where we only had two coaches speak today, obviously, because it's the SEC championship game, the showdown, the East versus the West. All the other coaches, Shane, out recruiting on the trail. I did see a funny video. Nick Saban arrived at the Ole Miss or not Ole Miss, but I guess Oxford Airport or whatever. Some fan, yeah. some fan got him, and Ole Miss is like, "My God, Ole Miss is making the big moves." <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, regardless, Kirby Smart here met with the media, and you know, there's one thing that we have yet to discuss here, Shane. I wanted to get your thoughts on it because you know the storyline going into this game obviously is going to be Georgia's outstanding defense maybe the best in the nation, going up against LSU, the best offense in the nation. That's going to be the big storyline. But 
I think also, you know, the fact these two teams played last season, I don't know the teams are different, but, you know, it was a 20-point margin last year, but and that was in Baton Rouge. How much advantage will you give the Bulldogs, looking at this way, Shannon, in two factors? They're playing in Atlanta, which is a city they know well. They know the stadium well. LSU's never played there, to my knowledge. I mean, they're going to be the away team, so to speak. I, I would expect there's going to be a lot more Bulldog fans than LSU fans. Mm-hmm. And secondly, Georgia, this is their third SEC championship game in a row. I mean, there's not going to be, you know, obviously outside of the true freshmen, there's not going to be any players phased by going into this game. And mm-hmm. I know LSU's proven a lot. They've, you know, they've run the gauntlet. They're undefeated for a reason because they're outstanding. But nobody on this roster has been to a game like this. And, you know, you could say all you want, they're going to be favorites. And, you know, everyone's expecting them to roll here. But I don't know. I, I think something's to be said for the experience in a game like this. And these are the damn games where Jake Fromm shines. So yeah, how much uh, are, are you thinking about that this week when these two teams prepare for their showdown in Atlanta? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be a factor. I, I I think, obviously, this is going to be a home-field advantage for Georgia. But, you know, the moment's not going to be too big. Yeah, Like you said, you know, all these guys have been in this environment several years in a row now. And I think they they really you know there's this there's this narrative floating around that LSU win or lose they make the playoffs you know mm-hmm. so just how, how far up are they going to be on this game you know Georgia has to win if they if they plan on making the playoffs this, this is a must win situation so and then there's the, also I think the factor of these two playing last year if you remember that game Georgia was supposed to beat them and LSU you know kind of pulled the Texas A&M on them. So, you know, I, I think that there's a little revenge factor in there as well. So um, I'm not saying that Georgia has more to play for, but it just kind of feels like it going into this game. Yeah, and Kirby just has, you know, the ability to really coach his teams up for these big, huge games. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a reason they've never, you know, they've, they've been whipping Florida when those two meet. I mean, those are... SEC East championship games basically every year they play. Remember last year going into that Kentucky game, I mean, that was also kind of like an SEC East title game, and just Georgia just blew the doors off them. So mm-hmm. there's very few games, you know, outside of a couple trips out west where Kirby Smart just doesn't have his team ready to go. And when the Bulldogs got their backs against the wall, very few people were picking them last year in the SEC championship game. I remember I picked them, and I I laid out a scenario that basically played out exactly. I just didn't forecast Jalen Hurts coming in there and saving the damn day. (laughs) But uh, I don't know. They just really have a way. And like you said, I mean, they have to win this game. There's no other way. When they're in a situation like this, it just seems like Kirby really gets his team up to the task. Even the national championship game when they're playing Alabama. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were going to win that damn game until Tua came in and I just don't think they were ready for him. And I mean, how could you be with, with so little game film on him? So right. I don't know. I, anyone thinking that LSU is just going to roll out here and beat the hell out of Georgia, I think they're sadly mistaken. And don't it feel kind of like a sucker's bet? You know, I mean, here, here you're sitting there and you're like, well, now Cager's out. They're leading receiver, you know, and now they're the backup receiver is going to miss the first half and Swift is banged up. We don't know if he's going to play front, you know, it, they're barely winning some of these games and LSU's just blowing out everybody. It just 
how many times have you just been sucked into this type of bet before? And then you're like, when they play, they're just two different animals, you know? So I don't know. And I think this is going to, I think this game's going to be a lot closer than the experts. Well, the, the experts are saying what, four points or is it six points now? Yeah. It's, is it, it's it, grown to six now. Yeah. But still that's less than a touchdown. I mean, you talk to people, they think if they're not a fan of Georgia, and if they're not a fan of LSU, you know, I, we put a poll out uh, talking about who we thought would win this game, either Georgia barely, Georgia blowout, LSU barely, or LSU blowout. And majority of the of our fans picked LSU as a blowout. You know, they're just – I'm not saying LSU is going to overlook Georgia, but it kind of feels like that narrative is starting. Mm-hmm. Well, let's kick it over to Kirby Smart Shane, who discussed the challenge of slowing down this LSU offense on trying to game plan against Joe Burrow, on the willingness that he has to call fakes in these big games. They've not always worked, but, hell, he keeps, he keeps dialing them up. On the Clydesdale and how impressive he's been, and then finally on Georgia's depth at running back that could be tested here if uh, DeAndre Swift is banged up, which Kirby Smart says he's not. Kirby, you're a longtime defensive coach. Uh, does, does part of you relish the challenge of this, like, Trying to figure out a way to, to do something that nobody else has done this year. I mean, I probably did until about yesterday afternoon. I started watching the tape, <laughs> and then you realize that, that uh, there really aren't weaknesses. I mean, arguably one of the best backs in the country. I mean, just vicious attack you, spin you, hit you. In the biggest games, Clyde Edwards has been one of the biggest players. Joe Burrow speaks for herself. I mean, I could go on and on. Wide outs, tight end. They got five really returning starters on their offensive line. Um, they got defensive player. I mean, they, they got an outstanding all-around team. It's it's a it's a tremendous opportunity to measure where you are as a team when you get an opportunity to play a team like this that is firing on all cylinders. I mean, they, they, there's no such thing as a perfect game. Nobody will ever play it. But what they did last week on A&M was uh, pretty incredible. Um, all three phases. They're, they're more similar. Curry, uh, we talk about uh, the challenge that your safeties will hit, have with Joe Burrow, who last night you touched on his ability to run, but also his great ability to keep his eyes upfield. I mean, do those guys have the ability to cheat a little, but they still can't uh, let the play behind them. It's got to be a challenging task with Burrow. Yeah, you, you can't cheat a little. I mean, there's no cheating with this guy. I mean, he's everything you want a quarterback to be, <laughs> athletic, keep his eyes downfield, poison the pocket, movement in the pocket, athleticism in the run, scramble, make all the throws. I mean, the guy stands in there and takes hits left and right, and he does it with confidence and poise. I mean, there's wideouts. I don't, I, don't, I don't ever see him drop a ball. There's just not, there's not drops. There's not, they get a lot of contested catches. So his accuracy is off the charts. The scheme he plays in is perfect for him. Um, he's got really good players around him. I mean, there's just a lot there. And uh, it's, they do a really good job. I mean, it, it basically tests your metal in every phase. If you have one guy that's the weak link, they'll find it and they'll expose it. And they do a really good job of that. So the challenge is there. Our players are super excited for that opportunity. Um, but. You know, they, they, they do a really good job. Coach, in big games, uh, you haven't been shy about calling a fake punt or a fake field goal. 
I know you'll tell me if the look's there, you do it, but you still have to make that final call. Where do you get the guts to call that? Where does that come from as a head coach? I think you just work on things. You're always looking for an advantage. I mean, no different than Jeff Collins did last week with Georgia Tech. You're saying that if I get an opportunity to steal a possession because I think someone's unsound or not ready for something, then you try to give your kids a chance to win. I mean, you saw it last week in, in Auburn and Alabama. I mean, it was a not a trick play. It was a, a maneuver to get an extra possession, and they gained an extra possession at the right time, and that's big. So I think anytime you can find uh, some advantage, some ability to do that, it's, uh, it's important to do it. It's got to be calculated. you got to understand why you're doing it, and you hopefully going to be successful at it. Otherwise, it doesn't look real good. Based on what you've seen so far, what makes Clyde Edwards-Hilaire so difficult to play against? Baller. I mean, he is a football playing machine. When they cut out a running back and say this is going to be a running back, this guy is as explosive quickness, short area quicker. He, he, he makes the best football tacklers in our conference miss. So you, you got football players that are playing against him from Auburn, Florida, Alabama, and he's making a miss, you get immediate respect with the toughness that he runs with. And uh, I mean, the, the kid has got, he's got an incredible drive and ability and willingness to, to break tackles and toughness that I just respect. He plays the game the way it should be played. And you know what? They play him an awful lot because he's really good. Kirby, you've often talked about the importance of recruiting uh, running back depth. In case DeAndre you know, gets dinged up again or can't go out, how confident are you in the ability of carrying and those other guys of doing all the things that DeAndre does? Very confident. I mean, Zamir's had uh, some good games and gotten to play more and more. I mean, we're trying to find ways to use him. James the same way. And Kenny got to go in the game and did some good things the other day. So uh, I feel very comfortable about the other guys. Obviously, Swift has a different skill set probably as a total package than all of them. And uh, we want him to be in there. But, you know, we've got some, some depth in that position that we can use guys. All right, Shane. So... Kirby Smart loves to call these damn trick plays in these big games. It's, it's come to back to bite him in the ass a time or two. Do you think this may be a game, Shane, where once again he has to reach into his bag of tricks to, you know, steal a possession, as he says here, give Georgia some momentum? Any chance we see that once again in this matchup, you think? First off, Mike, I wish my wife loved me as much as he loves LSU, you know? <laughs> There should be an app, you know, that you just pull up your phone and it's like, does this look okay? And Kirby can just kiss your ass for five minutes. You're like, you know what? Yeah, I do look good. I am going to be successful, you know. I mean, he must have a house full of women or something, man. His wife loves him. Yeah, baby, you look great in that dress, you know. That's you. Oh, yeah, them shoes are awesome. So I, that's just what I think about when I hear Kirby talking. So, uh, he, but he is right, man. You know, as much as he's done this to just about, I mean, honestly, he's done this to every team. Uh, there's some truth to it, man. Uh, Clydesdale is an absolute unit. Uh, he is he is one of the greatest running backs in the country right now, and uh, I definitely see him playing on Sunday. And uh, you know, this LSU doesn't have a lot of holes, you know, if any. To be honest with you, you know, I thought the offensive line was a little suspect at times, but man, they just as a complete unit and the and the development they done and what they did last week, just I don't know, man. This is a this is a pretty stout little team, but you know, 
I didn't. What was your question? Did you have a question in there? I'm, I'm starting uh, start to be like Kirby and just talk about how great LSU is. <laughs> my question to you, Shane, is uh, given the fact that Georgia is going to be underdogs in this game, do you think they're going to have to try to steal a possession here with you know maybe an onside kick, maybe a fake field goal, maybe a fake punt? Kirby has shown that before in the past. Any chance that he pulls that out once again in this LSU game to, to maybe really swing the momentum in, in the favor of the Bulldogs? Possibly. Um, you know, but the fact that he has done it before in the SEC championship, mm-hmm. I mean, one of the worst mistakes he made was a fake punt in the SEC championship. So I don't know. I, I don't I don't think that I think you gotta be prepared for it, but I think LSU will be, and I don't think he's going to have that that opportunity. But you know, crazier things have happened. It wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me. But I just I see maybe some more fourth down. You know, because uh, Georgia is really good on fourth down. So maybe continuing a drive, but I don't see any a lot of fakes or anything like that. Yeah, and he even tried one Shane in that game in Baton Rouge, and it kind of stunted the momentum they had in that game. And then of course they. I don't want to say they got blown out, but I mean they they were never really in it after that. And mm-hmm. I think it would be a mistake. Certainly they're not going to say anything like this, but if they set the mindset of, you know, we have to nail this, you know, the, this trick play or this onside or what have you just to win this game, I think that's kind of like a loser's mentality. You know, I think you want to yeah. go into it saying you know, we'll just, we're better. We're better than them. We'll beat them. Yeah. All, you know, man to man, we're better than them. We'll beat them. And I think that's going to be the message that Kirby's got for his team. But it was kind of interesting that he got asked about these trick plays. And I don't know, the last thing I think of when it's Kirby Smart is trick plays because they've kind of blown up on him. So I don't really know if he's going to be breaking that out this week. Dude, I think that's what he has to do is challenge the trenches, man. Offense, defense, linemen, just, hey, you know, we we could talk about how great Joe and – and, you know, Clydesdale is and these receivers. But if they don't have the ball, and we do, then we'll win, you know. So I think he's just got to challenge these big boys up front to keep the clock moving, keep the chains moving. And that's how you beat a team like LSU, by keeping their talent off the field. Mm-hmm. All right, Shane, let's kick it down to Baton Rouge. Where Coach O also met with the media here on Monday and, you know, previewing the Bulldogs. He seemed like he was in a really good mood here. You know, everyone's on cloud nine in Baton Rouge right now. And why not? They're number one in the SEC West. They're going on their first SEC championship game in years. They're right there in the playoff discussion. Even discussed, like you said, he was even asked about it. You know, you can lose this game and probably still go to the playoff. That's not something you're. I'm sure you're going to be hearing in the complex this week because that's just a terrible mindset to go into a game. But surely these players have heard it. Surely that has seeped in down there in Baton Rouge to some degree. You know, is that a disadvantage at all, Shane? Because, you know, we're talking about Georgia having their backs against the wall. They show up in these big games. And I'm not talking, you know, the only one you could say maybe they didn't is that Sugar Bowl against Texas. But, hell, remember, I I predicted that one too because Georgia under Kirby Smart is a program where it's SEC championships, it's national championships, or it's a failure. And yeah. that Sugar Bowl, I I did not anticipate they were going to be even wanting to be there, and I, I think that proved to be true. But they still have everything in front of them. Mm-hmm. Any chance this is a big disadvantage for LSU, knowing that – because I, I think it's true. Unless they get blown out, which with their offense, 
I couldn't imagine them losing this game by 20, 25 points. But I think that's the only way they get knocked out of the playoff is if they if Georgia just blows the door off of and and still LSU would probably get in because you still, I mean, then who you're putting them against? You know, Oklahoma who's lost and Utah's lost and all these teams. Yeah. There's just not. There's only three undefeated. So, right. I think any way this plays out, LSU's in. Is any way that uh, you know plays against them this week in Atlanta? It's hard not to, man. You know what I'm saying? When you know that you got a do over in your back pocket, you don't, I mean, just think about it, just in life in general, when you know, uh, you've got a free get out of jail ticket, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You, you may drive a little faster to work, you know, and <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just, you, 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 you get sloppy and, uh, it could, it, I mean, cause what, they want to destroy Georgia. Let's just face it. They, they've been able to destroy teams throughout the season. You know, they want to, they want to go out in history as the greatest team to ever play football. I mean, that's just kind of the momentum they have right now. So it's easy to get away from your fundamental play and and let your emotions play a little bit. And, you know, Texas A&M, small mistakes probably didn't show up. But a team like Georgia, if you make fundamental errors, they will make you pay for it. Mm -hmm. Well, let's kick it over to Coach O'Shane, who discussed the fact that the Tigers are going to be playing in Atlanta, so close to Athens on uh, making the playoff, even with the loss. Like I said, he was asked that question. And I really liked uh, the insight he gave here on his unique practice schedule and how that kind of, he discovered it at USC when the Trojans were on sanctions and he was the interim there. Just thought this was a cool little story uh, on being, you know, his first SEC title game on Joe Burrow winning over his team last year against the Bulldogs. I thought that was a cool story. And then finally on Georgia's defensive line, who Coach O says he recruited each and every one of these guys. Hey, Coach. Um, Georgia fans are known to travel pretty well, and this obviously isn't very far of a trip for them. So how are y'all prepared knowing that this is more of a home game for Georgia? Well, I know our fans are going to be there. I feel feel good about that. Everywhere we've gone, we've had great fans. But we will treat this as an away game. We will have crowd laws on Tuesday and Wednesday. We'll be very well prepared for all the Georgia fight songs they'll play on our field all week. Ed, are you confident that no matter what happens Saturday that you are in the playoff? No. I ain't thinking about it. Uh-uh. We're not buying into that at all. We got to win. I don't know if we got to win to get in the playoffs or not. That's not I'm not even talking about that. We got Our goal is to beat Georgia and win the SEC, and then let's see what happens. So we're that's not coming into play. We're not talking about that, and we're not even considering it right now. Ed, you, you talked yesterday about how you've scaled back on practice the last couple of weeks, yeah. preparing for a long season. Mm-hmm. It seems like from the beginning and the preseason even, you've yeah. st- made steps with running backs, taking time, things like that. Throughout your years in coaching, what things did you pick up to know how to organize practice mm-hmm. throughout the season? Yeah, you know, I really followed uh, when I went to the NFL – one year, uh, see how they practice with a limited roster. And then when I took over the roster at USC, we had a, a roster similar to the NFL because of the sanctions. So I practice the same way, and I've kept that. And uh, as the season has gone on here, uh, Tommy Moffitt and Jack, they measure how fast our guys are playing. And when we start to slow down, that they tell me when we're slowing down, so I start to cut back on practice. And it may be a drill or so, it may be a couple of minutes, but every week we scale down back on practice. And we've had 
we had five groups playing at 20, 20 miles an hour, which is the highest we played all season last year. So those methods work. They give me the information. I make decision how much we scale back, and it's worked for us. And uh, being a native son, I'm sure you have a, a special appreciation for what this game is, means to people here. What, uh, what have you sensed from the fans that it means uh, to them to, going back to Atlanta? Yeah, they fired up, you know, obviously, and that's what they want. You know, LSU wants a winner, and uh, being an SEC championship means a lot. This is my first one, so a lot of people have been telling me about it. I'm sure it's going to be a great game, but you know what? Today's Tell the Truth Monday. We're going to take it one day at a time. This is not too big for our football team. Our team can handle this. Our coaching staff can handle this. Uh, it's going to be about beating Georgia. We're not going to get all the stuff outside to make it too big of a game than it already is. You've said before that you think Joe Burrow won over the team at last year's Georgia game. I mean, what was it about that game that you think did that? To be the quarterback with statue at LSU, in my opinion, it's my opinion only, you have to win a big game. And that was a big game. I think they were the number two team in the country. And uh, he proved to his team that he can win that game. And obviously, he beat Alabama this year in 12 games. So he's been backing up what he's been saying. Coach, to your right, Georgia's defense is holding teams to just 71 rushing yards per game. What have you seen on tape from their defensive line, why they've been so successful against the rush? You know, I watched them a lot, and I recruited every one of those guys. First of all, they're NFL players. They play with low pad level. Uh, they play a 3-4. They play very, very good technique when they play the 3-4. They play the 4-3, and they bring that number 99 in that weighs about 330 pounds. I'm sure that's a light day for him and he knocks everybody back and lets those linebackers run. I think the thing that when you watch the Georgia Bulldogs, and this has been ever since I've been watching football, they get 11 helmets to the football. I mean, they fly through the football, they tackle well in space, and they're very physical. All right, Shane, so some interesting stuff there from Coach O, but, uh, you know, it's kind of like you said. I think if Georgia is going to win this game, it's going to come down to the trenches. We, mm -hmm. we already know... You know, Georgia's got this big, physical, nasty offensive line, probably got the best offensive line coach in the nation. So it's easy to see the Georgia offensive line kind of taking control of this one. Flip it over to the other side. I mean, Coach O, nothing but singing the praises of these linemen that he recruited. They're all he's facing this week. We've seen Georgia in recent weeks. I mean, their defensive line just been dominating people. Any chance that's the difference in the game here, Shane, where this Georgia defensive front takes over and, you know, we've seen it time and time again where you can pressure Joe Burrow, but pressuring him and getting him down are two different things. So I think it's going to be critical that they, when they get to Joe Burrow, they don't let him escape because that's what he's, he's been doing it all season where yeah. he'll slide out of a sack or what have you. And he, he keeps his eyes downfield. And the next thing you know, there's a guy 30 yards downfield just standing there. <laughs> uh, Georgia simply cannot allow that to happen this week. For sure, man. They, they, you can't afford missed tackles. You know, this is one of those games that you, I don't want to say that you got to play perfect, but you've got to play smart. And, you know, one of the things that a lot of people forget about, especially if you haven't watched LSU, is just how athletic Joe is. And you're right. He's, you know, he can make a, uh, a collapsed pocket, you know, look like nothing as he bounces out and looks down the field and launches it down, you know, for a touchdown. That's just, 
the type of quarterback he is. And and I, but I think these guys are going to be prepared. And and if they do sell out, especially for a blitz or anything like that, man, they're going to do everything they can to get Joe down because if they don't, you know, he'll make you pay. What was he talking about the tracker? Was he uh, the twenty miles per hour thing? Is he talking like the GPS? Or something. Yeah, so they put that in the guy's, uh, you know, shoulder pads, what have you. And uh, there's people on staff that actually monitor it. So, you know, you look at someone like, uh, you know, the Clydesdale, what have you. Maybe mm-hmm. on Monday he's running, I don't know even what the speeds would be, but let's say he's just running 20 miles per hour. Then maybe by Thursday he's down to, you know, 14. I think that they read all that information and they say, oh, okay, we're maybe we're running him a little too hard during the week. Because we want yeah. him to be closer to that 18, 19, 20 miles per hour. So, I mean, it's it's pretty wild the you know research and science that goes into maximizing these players' talents week in and week out. But they have to research all that if uh, you know there's so much on the line. They can't have their best players not up to the task on Saturday. God, I hope my boss doesn't put GPS on. My Fitbit's telling my fat ass to get up all the time. <laughs> Are you seriously going to sit another hour? <laughs> Obviously, you don't see what game is on. <laughs> all right, last two things here quickly, Shane. We can hit on these relatively quickly, but uh, down in uh, Missouri, Albert O, their outstanding tight end, he announced he is leaving Missouri for the NFL. I don't think that was totally unexpected, but – of course, following Barry Odom's dismissal, I think we kind of saw that coming. I don't think there was much chance Albert O was going to come play in a new system or anything. And then Jake Bentley announces he's leaving South Carolina. He's going to transfer out to play his last year of college football. And I'm hearing it's pretty much a done deal that he is going to Utah, which is kind of weird. He's that Now, that's not official, but I'm just hearing – I think he's like dead set on it already. So thoughts on those, Shane. Albert O leaving for the NFL and Jake Bentley leaving South Carolina, possibly to go to Utah. Yeah, just get out of the SEC. Um, you know, and same thing with Albert O. I, it wouldn't surprise me. And it wouldn't, honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if there's some more transfers coming out of South Carolina. Have you heard any of that? Because I've heard rumors that there's a few more about to hit the portal. Hmm. Well, given the fact that uh, they're firing damn near half their staff, I could certainly see that. But um, no, I've not heard any rumblings of that. But, you know, there's going to be guys all over the SEC. That's just kind of the way it is now with the transfer portal. And not even necessarily guys leaving, but guys going into the portal and just reviewing their options. But this is the time of year, man. They're just going to be, hell, Coastal Carolina, Shane. I don't know if you saw this, but today they had 10 players going to the portal. I think that's a portal record for one day. So uh, hopefully we don't see anything quite like that in the SEC. But it's just, it's portal season, my friend. All right, Shane, that's all I got on this episode. You got anything before we hop off here? Nope, that's it. Just going to get off here and track some planes, Mike. All right, buddy, so that's going to do it. And remember to please give us a a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts. We'll be happy to send you a That SEC Podcast koozie for your troubles. Uh, That's going to do it, Shane. Thanks for joining me as always. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. See you guys. Go Vols.